I acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nations whose land I'm recording on today. I pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Doyen Podcast, Episode 2. Thank you to Anon for the beautiful introductory music. Today we'll be chatting to Jocelyn Chu. So Jocelyn, it would be great if you could introduce yourself and discuss a little bit about how you got to your current position and what that is. I'm trained as an architect um, and also um, picked up some additional qualifications in landscape architecture uh, and then received on-the-job training in urban design. So um, I worked as an architect or a graduate architect for um, Peter Stutchbury and Sean Godsell. And then when I moved back to Melbourne to pick up the um, postgraduate degree um, in architecture and in landscape architecture, um, I then managed to pick up a job at MGS Architects. Right. And um, that's where I got a lot of my urban design training under, you know, I guess the guidance of Rob McGoran, who's a, right, yeah. a, quite a big, um, I guess, a, 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 yeah, a big player and expert in that field. Um, and that's where, when I started working on projects like Chapel Vision, um, okay. really big strategic projects, um, also a structure plan for Cario Norlane, um, so, you know, projects that sort of deal with or, or assess um, what is working about a place and what isn't working about a place and identify what ad- investment needs to, be, needs to happen short, medium and long term to, um, um, to ensure that those places become um, vibrant and sustainable and that they, they kind of sustain um, the sort of life that... Um, uh, the, the sort of lives that people want to be living in those those particular areas. Right. Um, that then, um, so from there, I also worked on a project called Chapel Vision, which was setting up a twenty five year framework for Chapel Street and oh, cool. Turak Road. It oh, was a wow. really really great project. So yeah. over the three suburbs of um, uh, Paran, um, South Yarra and Windsor Um, and that identified some really incredible things like we worked with SGS Economics who um, helped us to identify that the Office of Housing Residents that um, you know occupy a huge area of land in that that um, in that precinct were actually the biggest spenders the biggest day-to-day spenders in that in that sort of retail strip yeah and so it was also identified that a lot of um, investment or possible expenditure in that precinct yeah um, also leaves during the day because there's no um, available office accommodation, which means sure. that people might live in Windsor and may choose to want to work in Windsor or Paran or right. South Yarra, but they're not able to because the space doesn't exist. And right. so it was about unearthing all of those opportunities for council to then guide how they might um, encourage particular developments to help meet some of those objectives. Um, mm, that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, I then started working on the Caulfield and Clayton Master Plans for Monash University. Yeah. Um, so I worked on those for about two years, I think. Um, and then the opportunity came up to um, apply for a job here, or, you know. Um, and so um, I guess that was sort of it. That was my way in um, and sort of out of private consulting and into a client-side role. Um, and that's been, I guess, the int- part of the allure of that was understanding, well, how are these documents that we put so much time and effort into, how are they received on the other side? Yes. And how do you actually go about 
implementing them. So it was very much a lot of learning on the run um, and really um, being tested with um, quite ambitious but small projects initially. So um, the addressing of Clayton Campus was one of those things where, you know, um, we had a campus that had... um, a hundred different buildings and none of them were referenced to a, a street or yeah. number address at all. So it was very, very hard to um, uh, to wayfind on the campus and very hard for people to locate a particular building right. um, with, with, you know, quite, yeah, with, with stakeholders relying on really um, inadequate and unusual wayfinding mechanisms like head for the you know, the tallest building and then turn <laughs> left at the yellow um, tank and then yeah. turn right and you'll see the red doorway. And I think that explains why a lot of the campus was very strangely kind of um, curated in terms of colour. Right. Um, and it's also led to us, you know, laying down um, an identifiable primary walk network, which is much more civic in scale. Right. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I think a master plan as a document can be fairly conceptual. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on how you and your team and all the people that are working towards this Monash Master Plan vision, um, how do you stay focused and not get lost? Is there a concept that you're always coming back to? Um, well, the master plans are an evolving document. And so the the, we refresh them every five years, so right. that helps us to stay on course. Yeah. It also helps us to ensure that they respond to current um, um, contextual influences. Right. So, you know, when we first commissioned the 2010 master plans, which I worked on, yeah. um, they um, we weren't part of Plan Melbourne's national employment clusters, whereas we are okay. now. Right. Um, so Clayton sits in the, at the centre of a national employment and innovation cluster um, and our Parkville campus also sits, you know, uh, within one. Um, so um, things like that really change how you think about um, yeah. about the long-term vision for a campus and therefore the principles and strategies that right. um, support that vision. Right. Yeah. And, and the, I guess the ambition of the university has changed as well. We were much more sort of regionally focused. Um, that's how Monash was sort of set up and then become much more globally competitive Right. Um, over the preceding decade. Yeah. So um, a lot more of our focus now is on our um, international, um, I guess, um, competing at that international level for the, for the best talent in the world. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So And so what have been some of the challenges of this role? Um, um, I think the biggest challenge was one that I faced initially where you know, for the first time ever, the division had someone appointed in a design role to bring design thinking right. to a whole range of processes um, around how you approach designing, planning for and delivering projects on a university campus. So okay. for the first time, you know, deans were being told, deans and, and uh, faculty managers were being told, hang on, that doesn't fit with our Monash master plan. Yeah. Um, we need we need to do things differently now. We can't right. just plonk a bunning shed in the <laughs> middle of the campus because that's not how we create world-class campuses. Yeah. Um, and so we created a whole branding um, document for the Monash master plan. You might have seen the catchphrase okay. on some of my... Um, correspondence yes. is part of our Monash master plan. Right. That was about getting 
all of our stakeholders on board, um, noting that we had the support of the university executive. So, you know, the, the Chancellor, um, Alan Finkel at the time, um, and the Vice-Chancellor, and then subsequent Chancellors and Vice-Chancellors. So we've always had that support, but master plan implementation relies on everyone kind of, you know, um, taking ownership of, of that vision and the strategies. So, yeah. you know, um, people, signage contractors, for example, not responding um, without a filter to every request that comes through for a sign right. because otherwise we end up with these really cluttered, yeah. um, uh, n- non-curated sort of campuses. So, um, yeah, I guess it's been about advocating for what they mean, um, having some quick wins on the board, things that people can sort of see an impact yeah. from. And then people being really proud of the environments that um, have started to emerge and really taking on board what they mean and how they can contribute to that. So the whole it's part of our Monash master plan phrase was around um, it doesn't matter whether you're a maintenance contractor or a faculty manager or um, an educator or whatever, but everything you do, every piece of work that you request or undertake on the campus as a builder, as an architect, as a landscape architect, contributes to the um, broader ambition of the university and the, yeah. and the campus master plan vision. Yeah. Yeah. And so what were some of your strategies to sort of implement or to get people to understand your role? I've got m- way more resources now than I did at the beginning when right. it was just myself and my director. Right. Um, so, you know, now, today, um, eight years into the role, yeah. I've got um, a team of seven, which is really fantastic support and it's great to have, you know, um, seven additional people advocating for the work that we do and really yeah. helping other people to understand why we um, look at projects through a particular lens yeah. and why campus curation is important. Right. Um, and so it's been a lot of sort of problem-solving, creative problem-solving with a range of stakeholders to say that, yes, we can... Well, understanding what do they want, what do they want to achieve out of this project, and then um, helping them to deliver that on a way in a way that is um, contributory to the campus vision and also to the university vision, um, but which may not necessarily be what they had envisaged. And most of the time people are really happy with that process of being listened to and then seeing how, you know, um, the the problem can be approached in different ways to end up at an innovative outcome. Sure. And sometimes a a non-predictable outcome. Sure. Uh, Yeah. And would you say that's a sort of general comment about design? I mean, I feel like I can definitely relate to that and I'm sure a lot of designers can. I um, think so. I think the day that we stop thinking, you know, really opportunistically and um, creatively about um, our projects is the day we sort of really stop operating as contributing architects. Like, yeah. Yeah. So none of the work we do is is, um, uh, repetitive, I guess, um, even though... You know, we, I mean, we, we probably deliver about 200 projects a year. Wow. Um, yeah. Some more significant than others, of course, and some yeah. requiring more time than others. Um, we certainly don't sort of take a cookie-cutter approach to, to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how has that process worked with um, different architects that you've had on board? Um, has there sort of been different ways of working? And, um, yeah, what if, could you discuss a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So... 
Um, I guess one of the ambitions of the work that we've undertaken is having design diversity on the campuses. We don't want them to be branded as, you know, by one particular practice or in one particular type of style. Right. I think, um, you know, we've got some really beautiful bones um, on this modernist, on our modernist campuses. And so it's been about working with architects that will um, respect that, but also who are across, um, I guess, emerging ways of teaching and learning and emerging um, construction methodologies and all sorts of things, a whole range of innovations. So um, I guess we've sought to um, uh, introduce a range of practices, some of whom we've been familiar with through publications and whatnot, and others we've invited out of curiosity, um, knowing that the... Um, knowing that the tender process will help us, uh, help unearth um, more information about them. Right. Um, yeah, and so we've ended up with a really good mix of, you know, practices who are at the emerging um, end of the spectrum to yeah. practices that are quite large and very established. Right. Um, sometimes inviting practices that haven't done institutional work before, but but have done really beautiful, um, you know, contributory. Um, residential work and right. we, um, we've wanted to introduce a particular qualities of that to the campus. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really sort of diverse kind of mix. And, of course, we've got an architect selection committee as well, which okay. is um, which has the Dean of Art, Design and Architecture, Shane Murray, um, and Shelley Penn, the university okay. architect, right. um, both inputting to that process. Okay. And so in terms of looking at the university campus... Blacker City and looking at maybe some of your earlier work as well. Mm. Um, I'm also interested to hear a bit more about, um, you know, designing for inclusivity. Um, mm. on I think we've got multiple. This is the wonderful thing about working in a university. You've got yeah. multiple multiple um, people and groups pushing for in, um, diversity and inclusion right. um, in different ways and they're, they're all subject matter experts in their field. So... You know, we've got um, Jacinta um, Elston, who's our um, DVC um, Indigenous. Right. And so she's pushing for Indigenous inclusion and cultural right. expression on our campuses, and that's been really great to sort of meet with her and understand how we might be doing that better sure. and how we might do it more formally and more cohesively right. um, and more expansively. So that's been really interesting. Um, we're co- consist- constantly undertaking... Um, uh, safety and accessibility audits to understand how we might do that a little yeah, bit better. Sure. Um, so in terms of, you know, having universally accessible campuses, it's a real challenge sometimes where yeah. you've got like podium buildings and the like, which are, you know, built in the 60s um, <laughs> and can only be modified so much. Yeah. Um, um, but we, we try. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so, so we've been able to do a lot of work with this, this renewed emphasis on, I guess, the spaces between buildings and on um, shaping the landscape to kind of address those, um, yeah. um, you know, I guess what are, are now challenges with existing building stock. Um, right. And then the, um, the last one, we've also been leading some work in, um, you know, gender-neutral 
um, amenities and yeah. what those look like. And we don't have a full answer for everything. Yeah, yet. Exactly. So we, It's all still yeah. very evolving. Yeah, that's right. So we work with our stakeholders to identify, all right, what are some things that we can do now? Right. Let's monitor them and see how we're doing. Yeah. And then we'll um, we'll, we'll revisit and, and look at what, what has worked and what hasn't. So with a lot of our projects where we've introduced, um, you know, um, all gender amenities or other elements that... Um, that help with our diversity and inclusion ambitions. Um, we're, yeah, we're, we just monitor and, and learn and that's, I, I guess, and, and adapt where we're needed. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Our buildings need to work very hard because we can't yeah. keep constructing buildings to accommodate a growing population. There's yeah. only so much land that we have on our campuses. So, yeah, yeah they, they need to be highly flexible and very hardworking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting to unpack what a master plan actually is i think a master plan is something that's fairly conceptual um and it's just a series of ideas and then you get to it bit by bit exactly yeah yeah um, and those first bits are really important for securing additional investment or getting that sort of confidence to yeah. you know invest more in what in the vision you're trying to create so yeah exactly. all of our initial projects were really really modest sort of projects yeah um you know there were landscapes like redeveloping landscapes here and there or there were refurbishments where we would actually sort of say you know what we're going to have less space with this but if we take off these two wings of this building It'll open up this precinct so much more. Yeah. It'll operate so much better than it ever has. And yeah. we've bitten the bullet on some of those things and they've worked. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with, you know, where, where, when we've taken roads out and people were sort of aghast at not being able to drive up to the, you know, to locations like the campus yeah. centre. Well, it was kind of like, well, um, do we sacrifice, you know, having environments that, will appeal to people to stay here longer and to yeah. enjoy the university time yeah. over, you know, delivery requirements. Yeah. That's absurd. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, some of the early things were just about um, um, concreting over driveways, putting in place bollards and saying this is a pedestrian space now and then hiring in artwork to activate it. Yeah. Um, really, really kind of simple solutions which have then – you know, led to, um, I guess, longer-term budgets for, for yeah. you know, long, um, more permanent outcomes. Yeah, I guess kind of going on from that point, I would be interested to hear about, um, yeah, your interest in art and the importance of art. I feel like that's um, a really interesting question for me at the moment because, I mean, nature is something I feel like you can quantify and you can say... Um, it's important for indoor air quality, it's important for um, the natural landscape, but Mm. um, I'm also really interested in art and including sort of, um, yeah, artist work in architecture and in um, sort of public and civic environments. But I guess my question to you would be, um, why do you feel that that's important and how do you sort of back that up um, if you don't have a, like, quantifiable... Answer. I have to admit I'm probably a little bit biased. So right. for me, you know, I come from quite a modest background. Yeah. Um, and for me, art growing up was always something which allowed me to imagine yeah. um, beyond my particular world right. what other worlds might be out there. Yeah. I think that's important um, um, as a person, not just as a child, to be able to um, imagine possible futures 
for yourself and for I think the world more generally, if I can say that. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. And uh, I think what I love about art is that it holds up, not a mirror. I think that's a little bit too simplistic, but it it critiques um, current cultures and behaviours, yeah. and also helps us to understand particular issues in the context of historical moments or events or you know lineages of thinking um and to kind of conceive of um quite challenging ideas I think a lot of the time right ideas that you know um sometimes they can be you know they can sort of fulfill the whole range of emotions and be really challenging in some instances and so I think um what I've really enjoyed working uh what I've really enjoyed about working on public art with Charlotte Day and the and and Mama uh, so Charlotte Day is our, our director of public art right. or, or sorry our director of the Monash University Museum of Art okay, yeah. and she and I co-authored the university's first public art master plan right. um, and as part of that managed to secure an ongoing fund for public artworks at Monash campuses mm. um, you know art for us has always been about um, I guess connecting students to the broader world out yeah. there and to ideas that are bigger than themselves yeah. um, and to, I guess, expose them to different ways of thinking or different um, different junctions of thought um, that they might, might not have ever conceived of otherwise. Right. And so I think art is very, very important for... Um, well, for one, enriching the built environment and our yeah. experience of, you know, of the of our campuses, but also for really agitating thought and discussion. Yeah. And we've certainly brought artists into architectural projects to and, and landscape projects to right. agitate the process where we haven't wanted a um, a predictable outcome. So you know the. Um, um, the Monash Earth Sciences Garden, for example, um, the first plans that we entertained for that were really perfunctory. Right. Um, they were um, basically kind of a systems garden of sorts where you had a whole bunch of rocks plonked yeah. um, in a space. Yeah. Um, and that was about it. And the, the School of um, Geography and Earth Sciences was very happy with that, with right. geology and earth sciences. Yeah. And we thought, my director, Bradley Williamson, and I at the time, thought that this needed to do a lot more if it was going to occupy a space on the campus it needed to work for the public it needed to work for other students as well as for the school of geology and earth sciences and so um we brought in um i mean we held a competitive process um and then introduced to the into the brief and the mix that an artist would be brought in to collaborate with the group in the end we ended up um appointing Rushrat, um, okay. a landscape architects and um, open spatial workshop, which is a, a young collective of, um, of artists and educators. And okay, so cool. um, they really shook things up. And I think the outcome that we've got is a landscape that is very compelling yeah. and not always for um, in ways that are, you know, immediately yeah. uh, legible or apparent. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. And I guess that's seems to be sort of the beauty of your position being and not when I say you I guess I mean sort of collectively everyone who's working here being able to bring together and curate 
um, that being able to yeah bring in art and bring in landscape and really think about how all of these things collide like that's mm. quite exciting absolutely think, yeah. yeah I think it's very uh, look I feel very grateful and thankful and privileged to be able to work across so many disciplines because architecture for me was never about just you know, a sort of singular building or a series of singular buildings. It was yeah. always about what are the total environments that we're, um, you know, contributing to. So that's been yeah, fantastic to be able to extend, um, I guess, um, my work experiences um, across all of those dis- different sort of areas of design. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And so do you have a favourite place on campus or...? they're all pretty special yeah yeah they're all special for different reasons because you know ultimately we do have to fight you know we have to fight against um time constraints and we have to fight against limited budgets to prevent things from being value managed out yeah um we have to fight to sort of sometimes say that i don't think that this particular building or structure or whatever it is should sing as loudly as you think it should right um because it's all about that sort of bigger picture and how everything sits together yeah and some things you want to sort of be a little bit quieter and to recede a little and to you know enable people to have um those um moments of respite as well as inspiration and excitement um but yeah, so I, I, I think it's really hard to pick a favourite. Yeah. I love it all. Yeah. And- it's also been really great to hear that you've recently been working on the next edition of Architecture Victoria, which reflects greatly on the university campus. Um, there's so many issues surrounding that and the use of technology. Uh, it's quite a big topic. However, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um. So there's a fair bit of work going on in each of those sorts of areas. Right. I mean, the university or the, our new learning and teaching building at Clayton Campus, yeah. for example, um, that's the culmination of about 12 years' worth of wow. research into what is learning and teaching and right. what how can we make it better. Right. And so that building, um, you know, is quite unique in the Monash stable in that it's one of the first buildings on our campuses which doesn't have a traditional lecture theatre at all. Right. Everything is about prioritising um, peer-to-peer um, flipped learning um, and, and also providing opportunities for learning outside of the classroom. Right. Understanding that people, you know, um, um, yeah, I guess connect and um, receive a lot of benefit through connecting before class and yeah. after class right. and being able to have access to their educators um, during those moments as well. So, yeah. you know, when you don't have these sorts of spill-out spaces where people can congregate immediately after a lecture, yeah. then it kind of diminishes the opportunities to have those connections and to right. build those connections. So that's um, one part of where we're going. The other... Um, so, so there's still, even though we've built that building, there's, you know, I think methods of lear- learning and teaching are always adapting and changing. And right. part of that, um, that the development of that building has been accompanied by, you know, three months worth of working with a behavioural change specialist to oh, wow. help our educators to adapt to that space. It oh, might that's have, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it might have been longer than three months, actually, because they yeah. would have had to rewrite 
how they approach learning and teaching to fully utilise some of the technologies in those spaces. So we've got a lot of um, writable and projectable surfaces. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about students being able to undertake problem solving in the classroom more often than not and being able to project that, you know, present that back to their peers either in the classroom or at other locations that are dialled in either internationally or locally. Wow. Um, So there's a fair bit of technology already in those sorts of spaces. We're also, the building also has a number of landscapes around it that are learning enabled as well. So um, we've utilised the same seating configurations that have been identified as being conducive to group work and conducive to um, individual study where needed. You know, we've rolled those out into the landscape as well Mm. and they're supported by Wi-Fi, they're supported by power outlets to to, um, provide that sort of um, diversity of choice of you know, mm. how you might wish to approach your um, learning and, in fact, your teaching. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. And I, I guess, like, um, yeah, I mean, the whole campus is an opportunity to learn and you're not just teaching That's people. right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's it, the whole skills. That's right. And so, you know, a lot of our buildings are becoming more didactic as well. Right. The, the public art um, plays that role as well, you yeah. know. It is a learning opportunity and our landscapes are increasingly um, more and more becoming sort of learning and research environments in themselves as well. Right. And once upon a time they were pretty sort of um, just not really an underutilised resource that we've yeah. spent a lot of time in the last sort of decade um, bringing them up to the same level. And what would be your opinions on online education providers and the relationship that they have to physical university? They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So, I mean, um, online um, educational providers, I think, will probably lead you to think that they might be mutually exclusive and they are one of the fastest growing sectors in terms of education providers. But um, our learning and teaching building runs... Um, it is also complemented by a series of online lectures. So right. you do that sort of inert passive learning at home right. or, or at the library or whatever where you watch a lecture and then you come to class to, you know, collaborate yeah. and problem solve. Um, so that, that's how we're doing some of that stuff. It also means that we can free up some of our campus spaces for that really impactful um, collaborative learning right. and save, you know, those sort of sorts of space-intensive lecture theatres for, um, 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 I guess, not having to utilise space for those sorts of activities anymore because everyone, most people have got a device that they can um, utilise for right. viewing lectures. Yeah. And then... Um, but it's not about sort of being exclusive about yeah. that as well and sort of marginalising people who yeah. don't have those technologies. Yeah. So there is an option to attend lectures. You elect whether you want to attend or whether you want to sort of view them online. And, yeah, mm. there's lots of options. And they stream, I think they stream at multiple, um, there's multiple opportunities to stream them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It'll be about enabling the sort of connections that allow us to work at our best, yeah. hopefully. I'm saying that very <laughs> optimistically, but... Yeah. One area um, of work that we're concentrating on at the moment is how do we um, embed technologies in the campus that help us to, you know, better monitor um, the way that our um, 
our buildings and landscapes consume right. energy and consume resources yeah. and how we can make them more efficient or identify areas that are problematic um, for, you know, address sooner rather than later. Right. Um, it, it, um, at the moment we're working, we're working with Grimshaw on the delivery of a new engineering and IT building. Oh, cool. And as part of that, um, we've partnered with Honeywell to monitor every part of that building, including how much waste it produces oh, and what type of waste it produces. Yeah. Um, and that'll hopefully give us a whole heap of information about how we can better plan other buildings yeah. um, or how we might sort of adapt existing buildings to, mm. you know, perform better. So that's going to be one of the world's first, um, uh, not didactic, but one of the world's first cognitive, mm. um, fully cognitive building. It's been really great to as well learn about what you're involved in outside your current role with the Victorian chapter of the Australian Institute of Architects. I've seen that you're a councillor and also with 500 women in property um, and various other things. I'd be really interested to hear about your outlook in involvement and is there something that you're trying to achieve or is it something that has sort of happened organically mm, interesting yeah. um i i don't think there's a long-term tangible kind of thing that i'm yeah. aiming at yeah i've just always enjoyed um a challenge and yeah. learning yeah um which is you know which is why university has been such a great place for me to work generally yeah. hard work and um and ambition is rewarded, yeah. um, and certainly that's been my experience here. It is yeah. hard work, but it's still been it's been good. It's been yeah. recognised. Um, so I'm I'm a Victorian chapter councillor with the Australian Institute of Architects, yeah. um, and that's been a really um, meaningful um, appointment for me. I guess working client side, I don't know a lot of architects who sort of do this and stay. Um, a, interested in and across design right. um, where we continue to be a design-led practice with yeah. on the client side yeah um, I'm very proud of that and we do do so you know a few minor things in-house um, so it's been really nice to I guess reconnect with the profession more formally um, having sort of been hidden away at Monash just yeah. trying to tap away at these projects and yeah. trying to be more in the background while I've been building up this over of work right. um, obviously with collaborators yeah um, and then there's um, I'm also um, an education precincts committee member with the Property Council of Australia right um, and that's been a fantastic forum for meeting other people so people who work client side as well as consultants who are operating in the university space predominantly. Right. Um, I think both of these appointments, um, oh, I probably missed that I was a um, an Australian Institute of Landscape Architects um, Victorian chapter awards juror last year. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of a mouthful. So much going on. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm an, um, and I'm, I'm an awards juror for the Architecture Awards this year, yeah. um, which is great oh, because, cool. yeah, yeah, so that's coming up in March and I had to pull out last year because yeah. some of my projects ended up being submitted, oh, right. yeah. which is a good problem to have. But yeah. um, um, So all of those things that um, are about, I guess, um, staying across what is current thinking yeah who you know who are the current sort of leaders in each of right. those areas and 
Um, what do we need to be aware of in procuring environments that are shaping the leaders of tomorrow? Yeah. You know, being cognizant that we are, um, you know, approaching the best possible people to undertake work on the campuses um, and that we're also um, operating in ways that are supportive for them. Right. Um, so working, you know, I've been working... Um, with the Architects Institute to develop um, procurement guidelines. Um, And I think that's really, it's a really handy guide for clients like myself, but also really good in terms of meeting the expectations of um, their membership to ensure that, you know, architects are treated fairly and equitably and um, suitably, you know, compensated for work that they're asked to undertake and that we're not setting up a... Are setting up industry behaviours that are not sustainable and yeah. really not ethical. Yeah. Um, so that sort of work's been really, um, I guess, beneficial um, yeah. for me to bring the, the client perspective but also yeah, to definitely. take those learnings back um, to the client and sort of yeah. say, look, we need to maybe, um, you know, this is a concern to the entire industry and we yeah. probably need to look at this in more depth or whatever. Yeah. So it helps us just to make sure that we're... I guess doing the right thing by yeah by uh, various professions. Mm. That's really interesting. It sort of seems like yeah maybe it's the connection side of it. That Absolutely, you're yeah. Bringing back and forth information. Yeah, well, collaboration's been the biggest part of any of the work that we've undertaken on campus. You know, all of our master plans we've got four of them now have been undertaken by different teams of architects and landscape architects yeah. and engineers, etc. Um, so, you know, I think we like the diversity that that can bring to the work that we do. Right. Um, and the environments that we create. Yeah. And I guess um, I haven't focused, I haven't really asked you any questions about being a woman. And I'm, oh. this, this, this podcast is um, about think. women. Yeah. yeah. Um, but did you have any comments on your gender or on any issues that you may have faced or... Um, yeah, any strategies that, as an organisation or anything like that? I I think women are, um, um, you know, generalising here. Yeah. Um, but I think women are often um, reluctant to be in the limelight right. and reluctant to take credit um, that is probably, you know, due. Um, and so um, I guess my experience and my advice would be to be vocal, to yeah. be seen and to be heard. Right. Um, because if you're not and you don't make that effort to make your opinions heard and to be visible and to be actively contributing, um, you might be working, um, you know, very, very hard and working very, very sort of um, um, proactively, but people won't notice it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think the biggest part of... Um, I guess, uh, of my current practice is about just having a voice and not Mm. to be, um, I guess, not to be afraid to have opinions at various stages in your career. You know, no one's going to expect you as a grad to know everything. Yeah. But you're entitled to have an opinion on something and it will be informed by your experiences. Right. And if you need to, you can qualify that. You can sort of say, I'm... You know, uh, this is based on two years' experience or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's perfectly valid, and I've yeah. found that some of my um, proudest contributions, you know, to areas like public art, which is something that I've only really—I don't have any formal training in public art. Yeah. Um, 
um, but it's something that I've always been very, very passionate and yeah. um, interested in. Um, you know, they've had tangible outcomes on the campuses and I'm very proud to have been able to contribute to that in amongst, you know, yeah. people like Callum Morton and yeah. um, and Charlotte Day and, um, and Morty Palmer, very yeah. intimidating people because right. they're so... Um, you know, accomplished and embedded in that in that area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, what's next for you? Thinking about the long term, um, with such an amazing set of experiences, would you consider becoming the Victorian government architect? Yeah, I think it would be an amazing role. Yeah, um, certainly something that I'd be interested in. Um, I'd probably have to look more into what kind of qualifications do you need to assume a role like that. Yeah, um, but. I think it's sort of, um, yeah, it'd, be, it'd certainly be really, really interesting and very challenging and, yeah, something that I might aspire to. <laughs> but I've got a lot of work to do here yet, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah. But um, it's funny, like, I, I've just never really kind of had those sorts of um, career ambitions, I guess. Not, right. yeah, I've never sort of said... I want to do, you know, be this and then I want to be that. I've always just concentrated on am I still learning and what kind of projects do I want to work on Mm. more than anything else. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's it's easy to be kind of, um, I don't know, just to be sort of um, happy and challenged Mm. um, approaching it in that way. Yeah. So even here I, I do sort of say, Mm, I've heard that this project is coming online. I'm, you know, I think we're well well placed to deliver it because of this, this, and this, and right. really want to work on it. So let me know if you need a hand or whatever. Mm. And um, it's those sorts of instances where we've um, ended up, you know, helping the university executive on on particular initiatives, which is quite exciting mm. and challenging. Mm. Yeah. Just looking to the past, if you could give yourself some advice, what would it be? Um, I think it, uh, this probably might not be the advice that you're kind of looking for, but, um, I was always into sport quite heavily when I was growing up and I kind of put that aside when I was trying to establish Mm. myself as an architectural graduate. My advice is to not do that. Mm. I think it's very detrimental to anyone's health to put aside your sporting ambitions. And so, um... You know, to maintain that and to try and find that balance between the things that you love doing professionally or feel that you have to do professionally and the things that you love doing personally which enrich you. Right. Um, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. Mm. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think employ, employers and employees need to be cognisant that they're, you know, for architecture... Um, to maintain, to maintain, I guess its attractiveness as a as an industry to work in, that it needs to set these balances for um, for people, yeah. and that um, excessive hours it shouldn't be the expectation of our of our industry. Yeah. I think we can do things um, in more cleverly yeah. and more efficiently. And to be really truthful as a as a profession about what our services are worth and ensuring that we're, you know, billing for those services appropriately and not underselling ourselves. Yeah. Um, so that would be my main comment. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. really uh, that's great advice. And I think as well, architecture can be something that's very just 
one track mind. Yeah. And that's probably not good for anyone. Yeah, really, that's right. In terms of design thinking as well. Well, and ultimately you're designing for people. Yeah. And if your whole world is, um, I mean, some people may take offence at this and yes. this is not my intent at all, but, yeah. you know, if your whole world is about being stuck in architecture land and not sort of seeing out beyond that, then yeah. how are you actually designing for the people who are going to be using these spaces? So, yeah. you know, that's where I think connections to things outside of architecture are very important, whether it's, you know, mm. um, a sport or a um, or some sort of cultural activity or whatever it is, even family. Yeah. Just be careful about how much you, mm. you know, you let go of those things or how much yeah. you put them on the back burner yeah. and how much you sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, excellent advice and thanking you, Jocelyn, so much for your time today.